1: Football might be over, but the NBA, college basketball, and NHL are in full swing. And the only place you should be betting on these sports is at betonline.ag. Whether you're betting on a basketball game, or the Golden Globes, or the Bachelor, or the Oscars, BetOnline even covers awards, TV shows, and reality TV. BetOnline has hundreds of props with real-time odds and almost anything you can imagine, and of course, the 24-hour online casino. Head to the website or use your mobile device to sign up today and receive 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. That's betonline.ag. Bet online, your online sportsbooks experts. <laughs> What's up, everybody? Welcome to a brand new episode of the Believe in Clippers podcast on the Believe Podcast Network. Jesse Cass here with Alex Acker. Uh, we have a great show for you here this week. The the guys from the Locked On Clippers podcast will join us in just a few minutes, but right now, Alex and I are gonna. Kind of break down some of the weekend's games. Of course, the Clippers had a couple big ones, but Alex, uh, how you doing? Doing good. Doing really good. Staying, staying warm out here. Nice. Um Yeah, we knew that it was a a big weekend coming up for the Clippers. We didn't know coming in how healthy they'd be. They'd, they'd of course, been, you know, without four starters and had been making that work. They, they dropped the first Utah game, and then we kind of got the surprise news that, that everyone was back. You know, Kawhi Leonard from his injury— Uh, Nick Batum from his, you know, Luke Kennard was out, he came back, although he hasn't played in the past few games. And then, you know, I think most surprisingly, Paul George, who, you know, from that type of injury, thought it could be, you know, a couple weeks, you know, a month, but luckily for the Clippers, he's back. And at least in that first game against the, or the second matchup with the Jazz, it it paid off. And uh, the Clippers ended the Jazz's nine-game win streak and, and got back in the win column there.
2: That was a tough game. Um, the first game against the Jazz um, didn't have a presence as far as, uh, you know, Kawhi and um, Paul George, um, which is definitely needed, man. I always believe in that 15-foot mid-range is a lost arc in the NBA, and those guys definitely have that attribute as far as um, getting to their spots and knocking down shots. And it's an efficient opportunity to actually get your uh, – you know, uh, get to the ball, get to the rim at any time that they want to. But actually, literally, just like knocking down shots, where they can be efficient with uh, opponents like Gordon big Fella Just not blocking shots and altering shots left and right. So I think that was a big thing as far as what was needed in the second game when they played against the Utah Jazz. Um, and just actually knowing that they're capable of really being um, dominant from that standpoint, right there. So uh, just to see the presence of Paul George coming back, the Utah Jazz um, in the second game and uh, getting that done was really huge, for sure.
1: Yeah, and the you know the, as we said, it was a big weekend for the Clippers. We know that you know that Jazz win was huge, just to show you know I think obviously the Clippers have their title aspirations and uh, and are building towards what they hope is a long playoff run in the future. And and Utah right now, mm-hmm. at least at this point, has been the best team in the league. You know they've won twenty out of or 20 out of 21 games they'd been rolling had another nine game win streak so to to get that win over them I think was was meaningful from that aspect and like we said just getting the lineup back together where you know it's going to take some time to redevelop that continuity Uh, but just to see those guys come out and immediately play well again together was definitely encouraging
2: for sure for sure yeah I really love the way the Utah Jazz is swinging that ball um less dribbles on that court making guys really have to react and play defense, swinging it to each side. And, uh, yeah, it's, really, it's a really good thing, you know what I mean, to watch for sure. But um, you know, I'm, I'm really glad that we got that win more than anything for
1: sure. Yeah, no, they, they followed up, as mentioned, they had the game against the Brooklyn Nets. Uh, you know, the lineup for the Clippers, luckily, was healthy again. It was it was an odd mm-hmm. game. You know, it's one where Kawhi and PG were both awesome. Uh, unfortunately, the Clippers, you know, they lost the game and, and PG – you know, he's still healthy, but they basically had to take him out at the end of the game due to a minute restriction with him coming back. And, you know, Uh no one else in the lineup outside of Zubats really played well. And with all of that said, high turnovers, you know, those other factors, it, it was still a game the Clippers had a chance to win. They came back from 15 points down, tied the game, then had the ball down two with about 10 seconds to go. And you know, I'm, I'm never one to blame an entire game on the refs. As you said, the Clippers made plenty of, mis- <laughs> plenty of mistakes on their own where they could have played so much better in this game, but uh, just a, a really unfortunate call at the end of the game where not a lot of contact. If anything, Harden initiates the initial contact. Kawhi finishes the layup and instead gets called for the offensive foul. And It's just one of those things where I'm sure you felt this way as a player too, but in a game that's with so much talent on the floor, it's such a hard fought game. To have it essentially decided by the referees and feel like their it it's their moment, yeah. It just it just takes away pretty much from the entire game. For I feel like for both sides, you know, the Nets who played yeah. a great game and the Clippers just oh, we're gonna base it all on this one you know, bogus call and uh, yeah, it was it was a tough way to finish that game.
2: No, for sure. You gotta really let the let the game play out from from that standpoint. I remember from the All Star game. That little flop ended the game with two free throws. You know what I mean? <laughs> so, from that standpoint, you got to let the game play out. Nobody came to see the referees. And uh, it's strangely, oddly, oddly enough, that, you know, um, Harden's defense is him flopping. You know what I mean? So, he uses it to his advantage very well. And, um, you know, it just paid off from that standpoint, uh, which sucks, you know, uh, to end it like that for sure.
1: And listen, I'm not one to, as I said, trash James Harden. He had a crazy game again, which he, you know, he's one of the best players in the game. He had 37 points and 11 assists. He was dominant. But in the end of the game, as you said, you know, credit to him, I guess, you know, he got the call. But, you know, you think you would want to take some pride in actually playing real defense. And, you know, it's kind of, you know, why, if you're going to be competitive and be going up against the best guys, why not just try to make an actual defensive play instead of flailing on the floor and and getting that BS call. You know, it's, it's embarrassing for him. It's embarrassing for the ref who made the call. And, you know, I said, it's, it's just a, kind of cast a shadow on what was other, otherwise, a, you know, a fun game and a showcase game for the league to have it end like that. Yeah, for sure. For sure, I agree with you. <laughs> you know.
2: W- I just see some animosity inside. definitely pissed about that. <laughs> no, like I
1: said, I, I'm not one to trash Harden. I think Harden's one of the best players in the game, and I'm not, you know, throwing, sure. throwing shade at him, but it's just an unfortunate way to end that game. and But, as I said, credit to, to James Harden. He got the call and, uh, you know, a day later got the NBA to say that that was the correct call for whatever that's worth. So uh, the Nets got the win uh, and the Clippers will look to bounce back and luckily they're fully healthy going forward. For sure, for sure. And with that, we know it's a little bit of a short intro here with, with Alex. We know your schedule's been been pretty packed in Italy, but we appreciate you taking the time. And we're going to transition and get ready for our conversation with the Lockdown Clipper guys, Charles Mockler and William Updike. So, Alex, uh, thanks for checking in, and uh, we'll be back at it again next week with you. Let's go. All right. Are right, we now joined by our guests here on the Believe in Clippers podcast, the hosts of the Lockdown Clippers podcast on the Lockdown Network, Charles Mockler and William Updike. You guys, thanks so much for coming on the show.
0: Absolutely. Yeah, thanks, thanks for, nice having for having us. <laughs>
1: Yeah, so you obviously do a, a great job on, on the Locked On Network. You have a, a daily podcast over there and, and cover the Clippers. And uh, not a bad time to be covering the Clippers, of course. Uh, another season where they're trying to, to put themselves in championship contention. Uh, so far, you know, kind of a general question. But what have you seen from this team
0: recently in the early part of the season um, that you've liked so far? I mean, I think the biggest thing, there's ball movement. Ty Lu has made a huge impact. You know, even before he, he stepped on the floor, we saw a starting lineup switch, which I think shocked a lot of people, but it's paid off. Um, and then we had the morris Batum switch, which was great too. And I think another thing is the energy is just different. It seems like all the guys like each other, and it seems like they like each other even when they're correcting mistakes or something like that. I'm not sure if last season, if we had a 50-point loss, if we would have been able to bounce back as fast. Um, but yeah, I think... The whole energy feels great around the team right now.
1: I mean, I agree with you. And how much of, of that do you attribute to to Ty Lue, to personnel change with you know certain guys going in and new guys or certain guys going out, new guys coming in? Uh, what can you pinpoint as like as the reason why the chemistry seems to be better this year?
0: I don't want to put it all on certain personnel changes, but I think you know a lot of Clippers fans. If you've you know we've we've seen Marcus Morris become more of a leader this year, and he's even talked about how last year there was some issues when he would be vocal in the locker room and pretty much everyone other than, you know, Trez and Rodney Magruder. And I don't think it was Rodney Magruder who was being too vocal. Um, is still with the team. So I think it's the personnel change. And I think it's that Ty Lu holds guys a little more accountable. Uh, Doc Rivers has, you know, we've seen those interesting quotes about, you know, not wanting to be the guy who did preferential treatment for players, but he was the head coach and we haven't really seen any of that stuff. So it seems like Ty Lue's um, been a pretty big difference maker in that just locker room as a whole.
1: Yeah. And, and one of those new pieces of course is a, is Nick Batum. I know you guys spearheaded the, the movement of the Batum battalion. Uh, I just, I just got to know from you guys. Did you realize when you were starting this, how big it would become, not only getting a Avengers like shout out from Brian Seaman on the broadcast. Yeah. Over sixteen thousand votes for Nick Batum for the All Star game. It's been a been quite the movement that you guys really started.
3: Uh, you know, I, I had some I had some indication that he was going to be a really good fit for the team. It was one of those signings that I thought kind of went under the radar by the media, uh, like initially when it happened. And I just saw in Nick Batum, a guy that was like the sort of glue guy that we were kind of missing on the bench last year. Uh, just a three and D type of uh, guy who can play make a little bit, handle the ball a little bit. Um, and I was surprised that he did end up keeping that position in the starting lineup. I, you know, I, I didn't envision Marcus Morris being so flexible to see how good everything was coalescing on that unit and ask to go to the bench. I did not see that coming. Um, but I, you know, I have been impressed with his play, but I wouldn't say it was unexpected.
1: Yeah, and Charles, I know you and I were talking a bit before we recorded, you know, Alex and I were both optimistic about Nick Batum, but kind of similar what you guys were saying, maybe not to this level, um, it's been, in that way, a surprise at, at just how impactful Nick Batum has been, even for those who thought he would be a good signing.
0: Yeah, I mean, even the biggest Batum believers wouldn't think he's, you know, uh, starting in the best half-court offense in the league right now. But we'll take it.
1: <laughs> yeah, no question. Uh, I, I also got to ask, are there any other alliteration-style names for anyone else on the roster that are, that are coming <laughs> up, That uh, new new t-shirts maybe for, for someone
0: else on the roster as well? We've got a couple requests for the maniacs for Terrence Mann, but we're not—you know—we're not entirely sold on that one yet. It's got to come up a little more naturally, I think. Yes, yeah,
1: it's, it's got to be a little a little more organic and happen naturally. But <laughs>
3: yeah. I've been playing around with Luke Canardo DaVinci Three, but I don't know.
1: It, it might be a little too long. It doesn't quite roll off the tongue. I mean it's good to throw that out there you know if luke if Luke paints a masterpiece on the court and hits like ten threes in a game, then maybe uh we, we can we can put that one in the works he has to earn it for sure yeah, um, you know speaking of Luke andard, it's a good segue. Uh, what have you guys seen from him? I know the shooting percentages are very good, uh, but there's just been some i don't know, call it hesitancy to to shoot as much. We know he's been pushed by the coaches and the, and the team to to be more aggressive. What have you seen from Luke? uh? that you've either liked or disliked so far in the early part of this season?
3: So I've been really surprised, I I guess, with how we used him. I I think when that signing happened, um, I was just looking at the role that he played in Detroit and his ball handling skills. And I kind of thought he would have the ball in his hand a little bit more, be creating a little bit more, not as much of like the Landry Shamit sort of motion catch and shoot type of a role. And I think, you know, he he can fill that role. He's a great shooter. Um, but I, I I see a lot of uncomfortability when he doesn't have the ball in his hands. Uh, you know, he can cut. It, it is something that I, I, I think consistency has been the biggest issue in trying to get him comfortable in that role. Like not getting real consistent minutes, not fully understanding where he fits into the offense. Um, And then, you know, lately with Lou Will's resurgence, that takes the ball out of Luke Kennard's hands even more, as it probably most likely should. I mean, I think most Clippers fans would down the stretch prefer to have Lou Will kind of, you know, taking those shots and and, and having the say in that. But uh, I see a lot of potential to me. You know how we develop this asset is going to say a lot about this franchise moving forward. He is one of the youngest pieces and we do have a fairly large commitment to him starting next season for the next four years.
1: Yeah, as you mentioned, he signed that extension uh, this summer that kicks in, that kicks in next year. Uh, you know, a big part of why maybe Kennard, as you alluded to, hasn't played as much as we might have seen or had that role is because, as you said, Lou Williams, we've been, even seen Reggie Jackson play really well and have the ball in his hands a lot, and Terrence Mann, of course, with the, you know, the Maniacs out there. Uh, you know, how much <laughs> has that been a factor in, you know, both, both positively for the team and how well those guys have played but also maybe affecting Kennard and, and what his role is going to be going forward?
0: I think with Canard, you know, I think he knows what his role is. It's been pretty clear, like, you know, we've heard from players, Marcus Morris has talked about it this season, guys know exactly what they're supposed to do. Whereas last season, there was a little more kind of wondering what's going on. So I think Kennard knows what he has to do. But I just think it's hard when you have kind of a log jam of guards who aren't exactly elite, but all kind of fill the same level of play just in different ways. And he's just not feeling it right now. So I think we're going to probably see some rotation. You know, I think he's going to be up, and then Terrence Mann might go back down to earth at some point. I mean, hopefully not for his development. But, you know, as these things go, I think, you know, Ty Lue is down to move guys in and out of the lineup. So I think that bodes well for Kennard in the long run. He's just got to put together a string of, you know, more than solid performances when it matters and not necessarily in garbage time. Yeah, and one
1: thing that's been fun to see and nice to see, and I think was expected coming in with Tai Lu as the head coach, and you you mentioned a little bit there, but his adaptability as a head coach and the willingness to make adjustments, which might have not been the case in the past. Uh, what have you seen from Tai Lu in that aspect of his coaching and how that's helped the team so far?
3: Well, I mean, I, I think that he's been pretty straightforward with parts of the process. Uh, we saw in the after the first ten games, he was talking about the three guard lineup not really working out. Uh, You know, we've seen him experiment more with uh, defensive defensive matchups, whether it's, you know, running a little bit of zone, uh, trying switches. And he's you know, he's been pretty vocal in, you know, some of their decisions in pick and roll coverage, which has been an issue for the Clippers. Um, So it's, it's nice as a fan to see that stuff. Like, obviously, you can see what's happening on court if you watch the Clippers a lot. But to hear it vocalized and internalized by the organization is like a level of transparency that I don't feel that we had last year. And then if you look at this team in third quarters, uh, we're performing overall much better than we did last season and the season before, which is pretty indicative of, of a coach, you know, making changes.
1: Yeah, no question. And uh, the three-point shooting this year has been off the charts. The Clippers, you know, on pace to be one of the best three-point shooting teams percentage-wise in league history. Uh, is that something you expected from this team uh, in this system? Uh, but what, or what have you expected three-point-wise from, from, what, from the Clippers coming in?
0: I don't know if I expected this amount of absurd efficiency. You know, we talked about Batum off top. He's in the 40s. Canard's in the 40s. Um, Paul George, I think you do expect it somewhat. Everyone wanted him to take more threes than he was last season. Um, and, you know, when he's healthy, that seems to be something that's happening. But I think we just got to ride it out. I, we might go down to, you know, a paltry 38% at some point because I think we're at 43 or something right now. Um, but uh, yeah, it is, it really is just an eye opener in terms of how different the ball movement looks, even when PG and Kawhi are out, Nick Batum will still get nine three pointers off and, you know, half of them will be technically wide open or whatever that is. So that's just a big credit to Ty Lue and how he's drilled these guys down in, in a season with no off season. And, you know, he's talked about, we don't even have all the offensive sets in yet. So I think it's, I think it's really just a big testament to how good Ty Lue is as a coach.
3: Yeah, I think the ball movement has been the most surprising aspect. I mean, the shooting, you know, out of this world, uh, but just the type of shots that we're getting, we're generating more open looks than any other team in the league. And that to me is something that continues. whether the percentages stay the same or not, the quality of the shots that we've been generating is always there. Uh, And I think as long as that continues, uh, I'll be happy, you know, whatever the percentages do.
1: Want to give a brief moment to talk about our newest sponsor, eBay. Whether dead stock or the latest release, find the exact shoe you're looking for. As the original sneaker marketplace, eBay is the place to go to cop the pair that you've been eyeing. With eBay's authenticity guarantee, your sneakers are meticulously inspected by independent professional authenticators. A team of experienced sneaker authenticators verify the box, logo, stitching, and dozens of other inspection points. Each sneaker also receives an authenticity guarantee tag that includes a digital stamp of authenticity. and. It also protects sellers with a verified return process. And for the sneaker sellers out there, eBay has eliminated selling fees on sneakers of $100 or more, making it free to sell or flip your collection. Go to ebay.com sneakers today. eBay, the world's best destination for discovering great value and unique selection. And The ball movement, I think, I agree with you guys, has been incredible this year. And the assist numbers are high. Uh, you know, in the national media, there's always the the call for, oh, the Clippers don't have a true point guard. Uh, The numbers don't necessarily bear that out. We know Kawhi Leonard has stepped up as a playmaker. Paul George has. Uh, Do you guys think that there's a need for an additional pure point guard, or do you think this roster is
0: sound the way it is? I don't see, I don't know what pure point guard is out there that we could put a package together for that doesn't kind of gut us uh, depth-wise, right? Like, people were really hyped on trying to trade for one year of Kyle Lowry or something like that, um, which would, Hey, the starting five. Sure. That would be great. But everyone after that, it's a pretty hard fall off that you can't get through the playoffs with. So, I mean, no, I guess is like the, the, the way that I would put it, I just don't see all the moves, you know, the, the the salaries are kind of tight on the Clippers in terms of how we can move guys canards extension kicks in next year, which makes things a little tough. So, I think they just got to stand pat. And just personally, I'm a little tired of franchise-shaking trades, especially when the team looks the best that it's ever looked maybe in its history this year.
3: So I think from a talent perspective, like, I, I agree with Charles. I, I think we need to be done sort of acquisition-wise. To me, looking at this roster and the potential of, of the construction that's there, to me, is a championship-level roster. Uh, I think that if you optimize the pieces correctly – you have every piece that you need to build out a championship roster. Um, so I, I would prefer if we don't make any moves uh, at least until the end, like until the end of the season, you know, when Kennard's contract kicks in and, and we have a little bit more movable salary. Otherwise I, I just don't see a needle moving type of a trade uh, that really to me is like, Oh, you know, that's what gets it done. That's what puts them over the edge. Um
1: and not for lack of trying, i would look. Yeah, this is something that uh, I talked about with Andrew Greif on the show last week. And, you know, Lou Williams is always the name that comes up because he has, you know, the most cap friendly contract at about $8 million a year. Uh, and, you know, obviously teams have interest in, in Lou. Uh, but, you know, for someone who took less money to stay with the team, someone who is a real leader in that that locker room. As you said, looking around the league in the the similar salary range, it it would have to be a real kind of earth shattering move. I I feel to to give up someone like that who's been so important to the team and their culture.
3: Yeah, definitely. I mean, you know, Lou has (laughs) on nights carried this team. Uh, Certainly, you know, last season he was leaned on a lot more than he really should have been. Uh, Which, you know, part of it was due to injuries. Uh, You know, we have had some issues with the consistency of this lineup, but. I don't know. He's, he's so dependable, um, you know, has had some issues in the playoffs, but like, I think that, you know, with a player like that, you sort of have to take, you know, the, the roses and the thorns. Um, And I think it's, it's, it's definitely both. Uh, And, you know, maybe, maybe you see a trade for like a more defensive minded guard, but like, are they that good defensively that it's making up for like the twenty points that Lou will can go off for on any given night? Like I, I just you know someone who can get to the foul line quite as well. I just see his skill set as being so valuable, especially for I mean the paltry sum that he's getting paid. That uh, I I don't see moving Lou as like yeah it, being able to net a whole lot
0: more. And Charles, what about you? What are your thoughts? Yeah, I just I just don't see it. Everything just seems like a lateral move that kind of just puts us in the exact same spot, you know? Like, that that player's not going to get more playoff minutes than Lou Williams, and I don't know what team just kind of, kind of from a logic perspective would think, oh, yeah, let's make this Clippers team better, you know? I, I just don't see it happening.
1: Yeah, that's it's seemingly every potential trade target outside of a few or the names that have come up, uh, well, while they may be talented players, seem like they don't really fit or the, it's just kind of something that the Clippers already have you know you throw out names like as you said obviously you'd love to have a Kyle Lowry but that's a little unrealistic but you know PJ Tucker can he really do more than Marcus Morris is doing for the team uh, you know things like that where I think as you said the roster construction is really strong and uh, like we've heard in the past you know health and luck play a big part in this and if this team is healthy then they should have a good shot uh, going into the playoffs.
3: One thing I feel like we're not talking about enough, like with fans or like anytime trades kind of get brought up, is we know what this team looks like when it has poor chemistry. We know what this team looks like when guys aren't getting along and they don't want to, you know, really fight and grit it out on a night in, night out basis. And I think that's something that's worth considering with every single trade. Like, sure, like maybe you can get a marginally better player than Lou Williams. Like, let's just say that that player is out there for $8 million. What is the effect of that on the locker room? Do they mesh into the same thing as well? Do they understand their role as well as a vet like, you know, like Lou Williams? Because uh, I, I think that these things like these things are important. Uh, you know, we, we tried to glance some of this stuff off last year. I know I certainly did even being in that locker room and, and knowing sort of like what that, you know, what was kind of going on in there. Um, and, and it's not something that can be overlooked guys who like to play together, guys who can co- hold each other accountable without getting, you know, defensive towards one another. I think that's really important and can go a long ways, especially when you need to make a deep playoff run and you're playing you know, you gotta, it's hard to beat a team four times back to back to back, you know, like it's, it's not easy. Uh, and I think just those little marginal things, like everybody getting along can, can help you out.
1: Yeah, no, I, I completely agree. and. uh Yeah, I think right now, like we said, the biggest thing kind of standing in the way of this Clippers team being the best version of itself is is just getting healthy. You know, obviously uh, Kawhi Leonard, I don't think his injury is as serious. You know, Paul George, they're all questionable to play as we record this before the second jazz game. But, um, you know, those are injuries that obviously the Clippers need to get right for their important players. But when they're all together, uh, you know, they played really well as a group. I believe they're 15 and three when both Kawhi and Paul George have played together this year.
0: Yeah, hopefully we get some combination of them back for the Jazz game. The Nick Batum one's interesting too cuz there's no real timeline with concussions and all that, but I think Clippers fans will be if we can get it out of the way right now, it's uh it's a pretty good time to get this whole situation out of the way at once, I guess.
1: Yeah, yeah, the the only negative I guess is just that it comes in uh, you know, the stretch against some other really good teams where you're just missing out on maybe some some more exciting basketball, but the Clippers, you know, played a really strong game for three quarters against the jazz the other night and uh, you know maybe they can take one and we'll see if there's a game added against the jazz later in the year but yeah the, the tiebreaker first seed scenario is really the only real negative I think to come out of the injuries happening right now
3: yeah definitely and I mean you know the other thing is like with the stretch of games that we've been playing this month uh, you know, jazz twice and then taking on the Grizzlies twice and, and ending this, ending this month with Milwaukee. I mean, for a fully healthy roster, that's a great litmus test to see where you are at in this halfway point of the season. So, while it's certainly been disappointing to not have full health. Um, it, it I think it has been kind of promising seeing some of these deeper rotation guys like actually be able to play rotation level minutes. I mean, if you would have asked me a month ago if Terrence Mann could be, you know, like a rotation ready player, uh, I would have said no. Uh, And, you know, Reggie has stepped up his play in this stretch. We've seen Lou Will finally get over the hip thing and and go back to doing Lou Will things. Uh, So I, you know, I think that it has been good to sort of test this depth just so guys know that at any moment their number can get called and they've already been sort of battle-tested to be in the scenario.
1: Yeah, and you always hear the moniker of next man up, but it's obviously much harder to, to pull off for, for that next man to come up and perform. But maybe it's due to that chemistry you're talking about of this team, you know, knowing what's expected of them and liking each other. But pretty much everyone you can think of who has played has stepped up in a way. Reggie Jackson, Terrence Mann, the game Amir Coffey had the other night. The fact that those guys can come in and, and step up the way they have has been has been impressive and I think is a good sign.
0: Yeah, I mean Coffee turning into JJ Reddick has been great. I don't know if you've looked at his G League stats, but he's shooting a lot better uh with the first team right now than with G League. So let's hope that keeps up for however long we need him. Yeah, that was that was a funny
1: quote. Uh it was like when he shot fourteen threes, they knew he was ready to to come in and let it fly from the G League to the NBA. <laughs> but yeah, what a what a surprise, uh, you know, what an espresso shot there. I'm not Brian Seaman, but what a what a, what a <laughs> great thing for Mira Coffee to come in and, as you said, just turn into a sniper all of a sudden.
3: Yeah, I mean, this has been kind of one of those things that has sort of nagged this organization, right? Like how we can draft and how we can develop guys that aren't like, you know, not already knockout prospects. Um, And I think that, you know, this year is the first time in in a while where, you know, we have seen some semblance of player development. And I don't know if that's due to credit Kenny Atkinson, you know, being sort of in charge of that. He certainly did a great job in Brooklyn. Um, but we've seen these guys kind of take a step towards being rotation level guys. And that's the thing, right? Like if you want to be a championship team that makes a long run, you know, over a period of years, you have to have that balance of the top tier talent, as well as being able to extract maximum value from some of these, you know, more budget friendly contracts. Uh, and I think that it's something that the, the, you know, the Clippers have struggled with for, you know, years and years, uh. And to be able to get rotation level guys out of these later draft picks, out of the, getting some guys from the G League, I think goes a long way towards you know longevity of maintaining a competitive level of basketball for a franchise.
1: Uh, it's it's certainly refreshing, and obviously on a contender, you're going to have a lot of veterans who are playing a lot. But you know, I think we all remember not that long ago the the Lob City days where you know there were some young players who ended up turning into rotation players elsewhere, like Reggie Bullock, who never played and he brought in guys who were probably a little bit washed like Danny Granger and, and saw those
0: young guys kind of waste away. So it's a,
1: you know, it's nice to see some of these young guys started starting to take a
0: step forward. Yeah, it gives a, it gives, I think it gives a boost too. just, if kind of big picture wise too, that it kind of shows Kawhi, not only can we keep guys who we like, like obviously we're locked in with Morris and Kennard um, pretty firmly for these next, hopefully next contract that Kawhi signs with the Clippers, but that we can get some good stuff out of guys we draft. So it doesn't have to be all, you know, there is some development stuff that we don't have to rely all on signings and whatnot. So who knows if that makes, you know, any effect on Kawhi, but it definitely doesn't hurt. Yeah.
1: And, you know, it's obviously not as important as the on-court product, but we know Kawhi Leonard was named an all-star starter. You know, Paul George is widely expected to be an all-star reserve and uh, for whatever reason or not, Kawhi Leonard has MVP type numbers but has not been in that conversation a lot Uh, what have you guys noticed from that do you think that he should be in that top tier for for the MVP conversation and do you care does it matter at all
3: (laughs) um I don't know if it matters to Kawhi I mean I think that he would be happier with the finals MVP but like personally and as a fan yeah I do think I I do think that it's worth the conversation um I, I think that for some reason, there's other like superstars, all-stars that are in that MVP conversation that also have help on the team. But for some reason, there's this perception that the Clippers team is, is already too good, uh, sort of without Kawhi. So I, I, I'm not sure I quite follow that. I, I'm not sure I quite follow that train of logic. But I mean, I think that the way he stepped up, his play is there. Um, I think that this year we're seeing a more consistent effort from him on both ends of the floor. Um, and just, you know, like, I think that the way that he's approached his leadership as a player this season is like, you know, vastly different from the way that he came at that last year, obviously it being a very new scenario for him being, you know, having to be the leader of a team. And I think that, you know, that is one of those things that if you don't watch the team enough, you probably, you know, you're not going to get that from the box score. Uh, but yeah, I think the way that he's stepped up in all those areas, like I mentioned to me would merit some conversation for the MVP.
0: Yeah, I'm not really sure what else he has to do to really get into the conversation more. I think a big part of it is that the media really went all in on the Clippers last season and then everyone pretended like the Clippers had gone all in on themselves, when in reality it was the media pumping the Clippers up and they kind of collapsed in the bubble. So I think a lot of media members are upset that they, you know, picked the wrong team for the most part. And I think that plays a big factor into it. And there's, you know, there's the... The stigma against the quote-unquote load management that everyone just kind of forgot about as soon as Kawhi started playing back-to-backs, like it was just kind of announced and no one really seemed to care despite pounding the table anytime he would for very good reasons, you know, sit out a back-to-back. So I think it's Clippers bias. I think the fact that Kawhi is the quietest superstar maybe the league has ever seen, um, I think that plays a big factor into it as well.
1: Yeah, certainly. And it, it is funny to, to see... You know, every national media thing has different personalities who have different opinions, but, uh, you know, over the summer when the Clippers, you know, lost Trez to the Lakers and Michael Green left, you know, a lot of those moves when the Clippers signed Serge Bach and Nick Batum were kind of either ignored or kind of laughed at by the national media. And Now, like you said, Will, it's like, oh, now they have too much talent. <laughs> you know, which which one is it from, from the media? Are they too good or are they, they not good at all? <laughs> <laughs>
3: Yeah, I mean, it's. I think it's whatever is the the more clickworthy headline at the time. Uh, you know, looking at the moves that we made this, uh, you know, this offseason, I think it's hard for me to not say that everyone was an upgrade to what the Clippers need specifically. Um, I think that you know, if you look at just certain aspects of a player, uh, you know, maybe you, you could see it as a, as a step down in certain ways. I mean, Serge no, Serge Norzu is the finisher that Trez was. Uh, both of them more capable defenders. Uh, so, and, and, you know, I was, I, I was really worried about the loss of Jermichael Green, Nick Batum, uh, you know, that, that was part of the reason I was so excited for that signing. He's overachieved that. And then Shamet, who I'm, I'm glad to see that he is kind of getting his shooting stroke back in Brooklyn, but we wanted somebody who could do a little bit more, uh, you know, with the ball in their hands, uh, and be a little bit more consistent of a shooter. And I think that we found that in Kennard uh so yeah I I do think that the talent is there I think the moves that we made make sense but it's still not a team it's not a team that's like really a you know a huge contender if you take away one of Kawhi or Paul George and you know like I I think that we did a great job though of building around those guys like these are all guys who complement those two players
1: yeah certainly and I think you know that can be true of of any real contender you know you take one of LeBron or Anthony Davis off the Lakers, they'll probably struggle a little more Durant or Kyrie off the nets, you know, so on and so on. But uh, we know it's it's hard to gauge it this early with with still a little more than half the season to go until the playoffs. But uh, where do you gauge where this team is at in terms of championship expectations and what you see for them, you know, going forward down the stretch into the playoffs and, and for their ultimate goals?
0: Ex- expectation wise, I think it's still, you know, personally, as a fan, I just want to see us in the Western Conference finals. I think after that, with how crazy the West has been this year, kind of anything goes, you look at if the Jazz can keep up this level of play, you still have to get by the Lakers. The Nuggets are going to be a tough seed to get through. The West is going to be brutal. So I think once you get past that Western, Con- once you get into the Western Conference finals, excuse me, it's not a crap shoot, but it's really a lot more up in the air than those early rounds with how good the West is. But I think the Clippers expectation is still, it's not championship or bust. It's pretty much – it feels like Western Conference Finals are bust because we got to show that we can get past that, that first initial hump. But I think the team – the playoff floor is a lot higher, um, which I think really helps this team out overall. we got two you know, rim protectors for the most part compared to last season. So, I mean, I think sky's the limit for this team. It looks – I'm more confident at this point this year than I was last year.
3: Definitely. I, I, I mean, for me so far, the team has exceeded expectations even with uh key rotation players in and out of the lineup. Look, I thought whole new coach, you know, some new players in obviously, you know, shifting the roles a little bit for Kawhi and Paul George. I thought this was going to take a much longer adjustment period. I thought that, you know, 15, 20 games in, you know, we, we might be as low as 500 uh, and just still trying to figure things out. So this team has far exceeded that for me. And I think that, uh, You know, we have a couple of statement wins and against, you know, contenders, we have been able to hang in there, uh, even with guys out. You know, you look to the Nets game, very, very close. Uh, You know, you can't put too much into the opening season wins necessarily against the Lakers and Nuggets, but on a night in, night out basis, I've been so impressed with like what this team is willing to do to get a win, uh, which is not something that we saw last season. And I think that that, it's just, it's about building the foundation, right? It's about building these habits that you can then rely on when you get to the, you know, when you get to the deep rounds of the playoffs. And I think that we've done a much better job of that this season than we did last year.
1: Yeah, it certainly seems like the the overall fit of the roster is better, whether the talent is, you know, slightly less than last year's team or not. Uh, and like you said, and you mentioned a couple times, just the the chemistry, uh, you know, really can't be understated in a team that that likes each other and likes playing with each other and uh, you know, what that can provide for them later in the year. Absolutely. All right, guys. Well, this has been awesome. Thank you guys so much for for coming on the show. Uh, obviously, I'm sure everyone listening knows all you guys and, and check out the Locked On Clippers podcast where you guys do a great job with your daily pod. But uh, yeah, thanks so much again, Charles Machler and William Updick for, for coming on the show and talking some Clippers basketball.
0: Absolutely. Yeah, I appreciate it. This was super fun, Jesse. Thank you so much. Yeah, thanks for having us. So that will do it for this week's edition
1: of the Believe in Clippers podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in. And a big thanks again to our guests, Charles Mockler and William Updeck, the guys from the Locked on Clippers podcast. Be sure to follow along with their podcast as well and, and check them out on Twitter. They do a lot of fun stuff there. And of course, as we mentioned in the interview, the, the commanders, the leaders of the Batum Battalion, which continues to take off. So uh, hopefully you can get one of those great shirts that they have out there. I know they were limited quantity, but a big thanks again to those guys. As we said, thank you guys for, for tuning us in. If you enjoy the show, please rate, review, and subscribe on Apple or wherever else you get your podcasts, including Spotify, Google Play, TuneIn, iHeart, Stitcher, wherever you get your podcasts. We're there. And of course, Believe.com, where there's hundreds of shows all around the sports landscape, including all across the NBA. So with all that said, we'll be back again next week as well. The Clippers look to bounce back from that Nets game and Most importantly, stay healthy and get things rolling from there, uh, which it looks like, you know, knock on wood, to this point, they are going into that Wizards game uh, here later today on Tuesday as we release this podcast. Uh, No injuries reported, so good news there. Uh, So we'll keep you updated, check it all out, and we'll talk to you again later on the Believe Podcast Network, LA's number one sports podcast network, and the only place with a show for every team in LA and more. We believe in our LA teams. Do you believe? Go Clips.